When you're hiring, it feels amazing to finally close out a job search. But what if you could get rid of the search and just match? You can with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. From inside Camp Randall Stadium, Learfield IMG College presents Behind the Badgers, an exclusive look inside Wisconsin athletics. Here are your hosts, Patrick Herb and Brian Mason. This is Behind the Badgers podcast coming to you from, right now we're in the running backs room at Camp Randall Stadium. We kind of move around sometimes, but lately we've found the running backs room to be a I like it in here. A nice home for us. Yeah. Hopefully some of the greatness can just, we can absorb some Yeah, of we're trying to get some osmosis by recording in the room where JT does his magic. They've got, a, they've got pictures on the wall of the legends, and it's very inspiring. Gordon, Ball, Clay, Hill, Calhoun, Dane, Moss, Merrick, Amechi. That's crazy. That's a crazy run. Well, thanks for checking out our podcast. I'm Patrick Herb. I'm Brian Mason. We are excited to be 4-0, talk about a 4-0 football team, one-third of the way through the football schedule right now, and Saturday against Northwestern was the latest win, 24-15, and some interesting things coming out of that game, I think, from a, some takeaways from that, that through three weeks, Wisconsin looked untouchable and almost perfect, and then in week four, it was, was, a, was a stressful game, a little bit more stressful than fans might have anticipated, and... and there's probably a lot of reasons for that, but we got a lot of time. We're going to dive into all that. Thanks for checking out our podcast. We hope that you subscribe, rate, and review us. It helps us get some feedback on what we're doing well, what you want us to do differently, what kind of guests you want to hear. We've got an awesome guest today. We have Tyler Biotish in the chair, Wisconsin's All-American Center. Big guest. Literally. <laughs> the, big biggest guest. Guest, the biggest guest yeah, we've had on this podcast. Definitely. Uh, and he, he, he's got some interesting takes on a few things. He, we asked him why Northwestern was able to slow Wisconsin down a little bit, why this offense that was putting up huge numbers, um, 
only scored one offensive touchdown. We got his take on what Northwestern did well, and we also learned how to keep a house with 21 guys living in it in order. Apparently you outsource a chore list, <laughs> is what we discovered. Literally, yeah. We make chores for all of the children living in the house, apparently. Uh, and then we also found out which offensive lineman wants to be in the ESPN body issue. So you got to check that out. Anyway, thanks for the loyal listeners. And, and even if you're a first-timer, thanks for checking us out. There's a couple of different ways you can reach us. You can email us at BehindTheBadgers at gmail.com. You can get at us on Twitter, at BehindBadgers, or on Instagram, Behind the Badgers. Let's dive into our trending topics. Trending number one, we got to start with this. Wisconsin has the best defense in the country, and they've further proved it Saturday against Northwestern. Yeah, it went from being statistically the best defense, which it still is following Saturday, number one in every major category. But I thought you actually saw it play out on the field that this is a game where the Badgers needed that defense to be really good, and it answered the call whenever called upon, when it was put in a bad spot by the offense, when it was put in some tough spots by some special teams issues, they were really, really good. And this team is developing a cast of weapons on defense, which coming into the season, and they probably still are to a national degree, they're a no-name defense. I don't know that there's a lot of players. Maybe Zach Bond is starting to get a name nationally, but I don't think that there are people that would recognize Eric Burrell and Matt Henningsen and Isaiah Laudermilk and Chris Orr. I don't know that these are names, but we're finding that there's different playmakers at every level of this defense. And playmaking, I think, is is one thing that we really saw come out big time in that game against Northwestern because it's not just, oh, that the Badgers are holding teams to low yardage totals or keeping the scoreboard down. I mean, you can go 14 TFLs, seven QB hurries. They broke up 11 passes. I mean, they scored two defensive touchdowns. So it's not just that, hey, they're locking people down and getting them off the field and forcing punts. They are wreaking havoc on opposing offenses. Yeah, and it, like I said, though, it's coming from all angles. Yeah. That, that they're knocking quarterbacks out of games with regularity now. And when, when you saw that even without their two starting safeties in the first half, when Pearson and Burrell were sitting out because of suspension from the previous game for targeting – they, this defense didn't even miss a step. No, there was no drop in that off. first half. But then Burrell comes back and first makes play back. Yeah, and makes this huge play to set up Matt Henningsen's touchdown, and who is the second leading scorer on the team now, Matt right. Henningsen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but you look at the the from the D line and the pressure that those guys have been able to generate. And Jim Leonard talked about that's probably the biggest difference from last year to this year is consistency up front with with that group, and you've got a guy like Loudermilk who can get his long arms up in the air. He batted down three passes in the game, and then you talk about it coming from everywhere. Zach Bond, as a pass rusher, has been the guy so far for Wisconsin. But then here comes Chris Orr, a guy who hadn't had a sack in two seasons since playing Northwestern in 2017. He got two two sacks in this game last Saturday, and he was Big Ten Defensive, defensive Player of the Week. He was all over the place. And Noah Burke's out here making yeah. athletic interceptions and taking them back to the house. It, it's They're having fun defensively. And you heard him talk about it, that they actually relish any, they relish the opportunity to go back on the field, even if it means that the offense went three and out or the offense turned the ball over. They take it as a personal insult every time they go on the field, that we are excited to go punch them in the face. 
And that throws back to me to that 2017 defense for Wisconsin that was so great because they there were situations where they were put on short fields to defend and and wouldn't give up an inch. Right, and the, the quick change. Right, it was so. It was good. such a huge thing for them, and I see shades of that in this year's defense. And I, you're right, it is a point of pride for them. And I thought the no name thing you brought up a second ago was interesting because Chris Orr referenced that specifically after the game that we are a no name defense, and that's what we want to be because we're kind of all names at this point. Yeah, the, the, there's the, depth. The de- the name of the defense is Wisconsin, right? And that I mean, maybe that sounds corny that that's a, but I think that that's the way they view it is they are an attacking defense. They're going to create turnovers and short fields and apparently create touchdowns. Again, and to me that 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 flashes back to that defense from two years ago where you saw them wreaking a ton of havoc and you're seeing it again this year. Yeah, and I've been told that defenses win championships. So I've heard that. <laughs> they're off. They're off to a good start, and and establishing themselves as statistically the number one defense in the country through four games. On the other side of the ball, Northwestern presented some challenges for Wisconsin's offense. That was obviously one of the big takeaways. We knew that that game was going to yeah. be challenging for Wisconsin. We knew right. going into it. So trending topic number two is why was it challenging for Wisconsin offensively, and can Kent State this week's opponent? Kind of be the elixir that gets them back to that offense that's just dominating everybody. I don't know, man. We went, we did the thing with who's your biggest rival or most hated rival a couple weeks ago, and we were joking about the fact that nobody said Northwestern. But I said to my colleague from Northwestern on the field after the game, I said, I hate playing you guys. Like, I'm glad we don't have to play you for a year because that's, that's the game that we knew you would get from Northwestern. There was a big point spread in the game, which seemed kind of silly because of the history between these two teams playing these really tight games, sort of regardless of – you know, sort of the throw out the records cliche and regardless of where the game is played. And you saw that play out. Um, We saw what we thought was probably the best version of Wisconsin's offense against Michigan. Northwestern comes in and now we see this, some struggles to even to move the ball and to have any kind of consistency. And I chalk a lot of that up to Northwestern being what Northwestern has traditionally been, which is a defensive thorn in Wisconsin's side. Right. And there's, I think there's a few reasons for that. One, they have smart players. Yeah. One, they're not, they were not interested in necessarily disguising what they're doing. They're going to come at you and they're going to play you straight up and they're going to, and they're going to be good at the point of attack. And they know Wisconsin very well. Right. It's the same thing. Wisconsin's offense has an identity and sticks to it and isn't going to try to fool you. Northwestern's defense is the same way. Their defensive coordinator, Hankowitz, who's 71 years old, has been there for several years was an assistant coach, the defensive coordinator at Wisconsin, at the same time when Paul Christ was the offensive coordinator. He knows Wisconsin's offense. He knows what Wisconsin's identity is. It doesn't mean he has the recipe to stop it, but it's close, and, and he's proven it. They, had, they held Jonathan Taylor under 100 yards in the first two matchups of Taylor's career against them. He was able to get to 100 yards on Saturday, but it took work. It took him 26 carries to get there. Yeah, I mean, he only averaged 4.6 yards per carry, which, which for most running backs is a decent, you know, a decent day's work, but for, not for JT. The team only averaged 3.9 yards per carry when you took out the sacks. I mean, so moving the ball was, was a challenge. Another thing that was revealing was, was what Jack Cohen, some of the things that he had to say after the game about the fact that Northwestern played a lot of zone in the back end where Michigan played you man-on-man, and there was a there's a learning progression here for him. We have to remember that he's still pretty young in his career as a starter. So he's seeing things sometimes True. either for the first time or seeing things differently that he's still figuring out how to adjust to. And so what you hope is that the takeaway is from this game where 
he wasn't the dynamic playmaker that he was in the previous three games. Can he learn from these experiences where he said they played, he has, he was not able to diagnose the passing yeah. lanes through the windows of the zone early on in, in, in the early in his progressions. Yeah. He gave them a lot of credit for disguising for disguising really well. And even though he knew going in what Northwestern is schematically, Northwestern did a good job of disguising what kind of coverage it was bringing on each snap. Right. That so caused him problems. So now we're going to learn, can the next time Wisconsin's going to see this, which they are, they, oh, Northwestern, yeah. some of the guys said that Northwestern. AJ Taylor said it yesterday, you know, like other teams have a blueprint for how to slow us down, and now it's on us to expect that and to plan for it and try to beat it the next time. Yep, so that there's always moves, there's always counter moves. Now they have to come up with the counter to the counter move right. to see if they can, so th- to, to make sure that when they face that again, that they can be back to that dynamic offense that can score more than one touchdown. Thankfully, they didn't need it in this game. And I, I think we had that there was maybe, a, we saw maybe a little more conservative play, game plan than they did against Michigan. And Martin, part of it might have been because Wisconsin knows that their defense is going to beat Northwestern's offense. Right. You, feel, you felt good about what the defense was, would be able to do against Northwestern. So you, you sort of maybe you backed it off a little bit. Make and, sure you don't make mistakes, make sure you limit. What you're what you're allowing them in the in the freebies or the or the hidden yardage, and let the defense help you carry it through. Right, and you talk about not making mistakes. I think had the Badgers not had a couple of issues on special teams, whether it's the muffed punt or wild goose penalty, wild goose's penalty, which thankfully onside kick, thankfully they only gave up three on that possession yep. that was extended by the the face mask penalty, but then not recovering the onside kick. This final score probably looks quite a bit different if those things don't happen in the second half where Northwestern was able to have a short field and uh-huh. capitalize on it. And Wisconsin's defense ended up being out there for four consecutive possessions because they scored themselves and then had the onside kick. So what was the score when Jack when 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 Jack Dunn missed that punt return? Twenty four to three. Twenty four to three, Wisconsin's getting the ball back. Correct. And so you, you don't feel with about ten minutes to play. So you don't feel great about Northwestern being able to drive the field and score on that defense because you hadn't seen him do it all day, other than right. the ones where they hit the big play right after the, the face mask penalty. So again, I think it's probably a little different complexion. We might look at this a little differently had those things not happened, but they did. Think this offense will get well against Kent State? Uh, if there's an opponent to get well against, the numbers would tell you it's Kent State. They are dead last in the FBS against the run. They rank 130th. Oh giving, Auburn ran for over 400 on right, them, didn't they? Exactly. Auburn skews that a little bit because Auburn ran for 467 yards and had 633 total yards against them. So that skews the averages a little bit. But um, Kent State, coached by former UW quarterback slash tight end Sean Lewis, played in the mid-2000s era. And he will be bringing his team back to, to Camp Randall. Yeah, I was just talking to Mickey Turner, our tight ends coach, about him because they were in the same room and, and had a history together. And it was interesting that you know we talk a lot about how Paul has brought so many Wisconsin guys back to this staff and people that have sort of subscribed to that same mentality that has made Wisconsin, Wisconsin on offense. Sean Lewis went the opposite direction. He, he, you know, he got in, involved with Dino Babers at Eastern Illinois and then Bowling Green and Syracuse. Syracuse sure. And it is up-tempo, spread it out, pitch it all around the yard. Yeah. Very much a different approach than what he was doing here when Paul Chris was his offensive coordinator back in the mid-2000s. All right. Trending topic number three. It ain't just football. Hoops is underway. The men's basketball team has started practice. Uh, I saw an unofficial, un- official unofficial is how it was termed, but I saw an unofficial media poll 
as the Badgers pick sixth. So yeah. how, how realistic is that? And what is this rotation going to look like? I think is the first question you have to ask with the biggest change being that Ethan Happ has graduated and is no longer going to be part of the equation for the Badgers. Yeah, I, th- I think that there's more question marks than there are answers for this year's team. That's And that that's why you would have them predicted somewhere in the middle of the pack in the Big Ten. This team needs to have certain players make big jumps, guys that have not been relied on to be the go-to guy. Somebody or a couple players, hopefully, need to emerge to that because you graduated a two-time All-American who was a do-everything guy. And they built the offense committed to him. And right. they they deviated from that. So in addition to who steps forward, the other question going into the season would be, what's their offensive identity look like without him? Yeah, how much does it change without everything going through Ethan Happ? Right. I think they're gonna go back to running some swing offense. They're gonna go back to they're gonna go back to some things that they haven't done in several years because they have flexibility where Pretty much every lineup they're going to put on the court now will feature five shooters. Not only did you graduate Ethan Happ, but you also graduated Khalil Iverson, who was not a shooter as well, and Charlie Thomas wasn't either. So you you really got rid of guys that clogged up the lane and were dynamic and skilled in their own ways, but they didn't they did not help you spread the floor. Where now your big men are Nate Reavers, Micah Potter, Aleem Ford, Tyler Wall, all guys who can shoot from the perimeter and will shoot from the perimeter. So you're, you asked about the rotation. I mean, that's your front court right there, those four players right there. So that includes new two newcomers, the only really newcomers to the roster this year, Micah Potter, the transfer from Ohio State, who his waiver status to be able to play immediately is still unclear at this point. We only have, what, it's October it's October <laughs> now, so we got to they, – they need to figure this out pretty soon, they being the NCAA – uh, because of, as of right now, he's not eligible to play till mid-December, but the team could sure use him starting day one. So you've got him adding to the rotation, and he'll be a big piece whenever it is that he can start playing, and then Tyler Wall, the freshman from Lakeville, Minneapolis area. So that's your front court four right there. Your back court is Brad Davison, Trice, returning starters from a year ago. You kind of think you might know what you have in them. And then also Pritzel. Kobe King and Trevor Anderson, who's about back to health now. He's getting really close. He was he's doing some short sided two on two, one on one, two on two, three and three full uh, full contact stuff. And by the end of the week or next week, he might be full go um, back from his knee injury from a year ago. So there are unanswered questions, but I think it's going to be exciting because it might be a different guy every night as opposed to knowing that. Boy, if Ethan Happ's not on today, right, this team might have trouble. Right. So, who benefits the most from that? A different look offensively. Is it one guy, or is it is it the big guys down? You know, the big guys that we know can shoot a little bit. They get freed up a little more, and maybe throws it back a little bit to some of the really good teams we've had here with good shooting big men. Or who who benefits the most from? Yeah, that? I mean, I think you're going to see Nate Reavers unshackled a little bit. That he's not playing alongside of another big man. He is going to be a featured man in that. I think you're going to have more. Opportunities for driving lanes for this for for these guards. You know, in talking to Brad Davison the other day about it and what he th- what he thinks of this new offensive identity, and he said people used to talk to Meech and I about Meech being Demetri Trice about how many step back jumpers we shot, and they were always saying, "Oh, why you shoot so many step back jumpers late in the shot clock?" and and he said, "Well, one of the reasons was because." The driving lanes weren't always there when we when we if if we were able to beat our guy off the dribble or reverse the ball and, and attack from the weak side, there was always a help defender. Ethan's guy there, often there were two: Ethan's guy and Khalil's defender. So I think I think the the guys who can slash and get to the rim 
vertically are going to be ones who benefit with that. So like a Kobe King, that guy might be a, he might be a guy who's able to kind of be a slasher off the wing. And another guy, Aleem Ford is, is the guy that a lot of the, the teammates are talking about and, and their strength coach, Eric Helen is talking about. He's the guy who had a big summer, not only physically putting on weight and getting stronger, but he's aggressive and he's attacking and he's playing at multiple levels and he's got a new hairstyle. I feel like we had a little bit of this discussion last year with Aleem after that, that scrimmage against yes. Iowa State where he, the word coming out was that he had played so well and then he got banged up. And, I mean, is this, is this now his year? Yeah, he, he makes a you're right. You're right. We were in a similar position a year ago where he was kind of the talk of the fall and, yeah, he was the leading scorer in that close scrimmage. And then he had the knee injury and he came back quickly. He only missed, I think, three or four games that season. But it, he wasn't the same when he came back. The confidence wasn't there, you could tell. And it, it took him most of the season to kind of regain that swagger that he, that he had in October, I guess I would say. And so maybe now a full year removed from that knee injury, that swagger's kind of coming back. And he's the guy that, that his teammates look to as he could be a difference maker. He could be a game changer where you think you know what Brad is and Trice is and Nate is and these guys. I don't think we know yet what Aleem Ford can be. Interesting to think about the parallels here with football and also with the talks we've had about men's hockey with three of the biggest teams that, that in terms of what people see all making jumps offensively and maybe being a little bit more dynamic and a little bit more interesting when it comes to scoring. Yeah, you're right. Those boring old Badgers. Maybe yeah, hopefully we can put that to bed. Bucking that, that notion in, in all three of those sports. Well, let's, let's talk to Tyler Biotish, speaking of offensive. The Badger. Yeah, the Badger. <laughs> let's get his take on what, uh, what Wisconsin's offense looks like in 2019, both those first three games when they were dynamic, and then maybe what, what happened against Northwestern and, and get his take on it. He's a junior. He's a center. He's, a, he's an All-American. He started all 31 games of his career. We're happy to have Tyler Biotish on the pod. We're excited to have a guy whose name is Badger on the podcast. Tyler, thanks for coming by. Let's start there. Why does the coaching staff, why do your teammates call you Badger? Um, back in 2017, our uh, O-line coach, Coach Rudolph, um, commented on a play. Uh, I had a really great pad level, and um, he said that I was like a Badger in there. And every time we were looking at that practice, every clip, he kept saying it. And then um, Dieter and Dietzen and... Bo and Dave, they kept uh, calling me Badger every day because I would, <laughs> I would keep, uh, you know, having great fits like that. But um, it was it just stuck. And <laughs> this is when it, you were a freshman, redshirt freshman, and uh, uh, at the end of the year. And um, yeah, with that group at the time, they they always called me Badger, and <laughs> they were a good group of guys to hang out with. So, do you stuck. embrace that? Because of all the guys that have been Badgers, I don't, I can't recall anyway someone who actually went by Badger. Yeah, I mean, I I embraced it. Um, at first, it was kind of weird, um, but then like like Troy Fumagalli would always be like, "You're my best Badger," like and all this stuff. <laughs> like, you know, it it was it was always uh it was always cool just to be with those guys. And it was at first, I feel like it was more camaraderie. But then like talking with you guys and other guys that actually like kind of talked to me about my nickname. <laughs> I'm like, you know, it kind of holds me responsible to. Uh, you Does know, Coach Rudolph even call you by your real name? Or is it, it, does he only, yeah, so we'll, we'll sit and listen to him do interviews or meet with television the day before games, and he will refer to you as Badger, and TV will be like, (laughs) 
They'll say, who are you talking about? Because I don't even know if he knows your name is Tyler anymore. He just kind of chuckles and goes, yeah, they call him Badger. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I don't think I remember the last time he called me Tyler, honestly. (laughs) When you were being recruited, maybe. Yeah, probably. (laughs) Can we go back to Saturday's game against Northwestern? Yeah. And why did Northwestern make things difficult for you guys? Through three games, you guys were almost perfect offensively Mm -hmm. and untouchable. Saturday, little different scenario. Yeah, I mean, I just think, um, you know, I thought we we had good blocking schemes and everything, but, you know, they made plays. And, um, you know, if you're one-on-one, you know, we're going to take that with uh, JT. But, you know, the holes weren't as great, I think, as the O-line could have made them at times. And um, it, they, they were tough. I mean, they loaded the box. And w- when we had to throw, um, some of the throws were more obvious situations. But uh, when they only go three-man rush, they aren't covered. So, I mean, it was kind of hard just to get them all booming a little bit. But, um I think we'll be better. When you, after you've watched the film on it, do, do you guys think that it's more what you guys didn't do or what they did well? Um, I think it was a little bit of both. I think we could have sharpened a lot of things up. Really? I think we, um, I think we we were. I, think, I mean, Northwestern is a great defense. I think um, they gave us trouble, but I think we could have done a lot more stuff better. Um, I think we need to communicate a little bit better from the O line standpoint of like how they're fitting us and, you know, just a little bit more communication here and there. Um, but otherwise, I think, you know, you know, it, it was kind of a weird game because we – it kind of was back and forth of whether, like, it was kind of like second and seven. It was kind of like those where they run past. It was – I don't know. They, whenever we passed it, it seemed like they went three-man rush. So they were more in coverage. But I don't know. You know, it was one of those games where it was just – is it is it harder to prepare, or is it, I guess, maybe not harder or easier, but is it different preparing for a team where, like Northwestern, you guys know what they're going to do. They yeah. know what you're going to do. Yeah. It's not like you spend the week trying to uncover, you know, tendencies. Does that change your preparation and, like, really make you have to whittle it down to the super mm-hmm. fine details, or how does that work? Yeah, I think – I think I think you do because you know they know exactly kind of not exactly but they know the base what you're gonna do and I think you just gotta do it better. So I think some of those runs we could have been better with more knockback off line of scrimmage where that whole it's one feet turns into three feet and that can split JT out and make a move right away. Just like on that touchdown, he got to the second level and made that move right away. So if we could add a little bit more holes like that, maybe not in the jumbo package, but I mean you know, <laughs> I mean but we could you could have done it, but. Um, you mean you, you know. mean the hippo package? Yeah, the hippo <laughs> package. Yeah, where'd the name come from on hippo? I think um, they, well, we we created it last year, and um, I think Erds and uh, who else was in the backfield? Bruss. I think they get the the vibe we got from last year's crew it was just uh, we're we're a bunch of hippos, I guess. And <laughs> we're gonna run through here or something. But not insulting in any way. Yeah, you guys no, don't no. take that as an insult. I think the first went through was like Buffalo, but then I think they changed it to Hippo because it just sounded better or something. But <laughs> so after those first three games, I think everybody, like fan-wise, were thinking, whoa, this is the greatest team we've ever seen. They're going to win the national championship. And then game four happens in Northwestern, and they say, well, wait a minute. Maybe there's some pause. Maybe there's – are we as good as we thought? Do you think as a team – which is the real Badger offense, what we saw against Michigan, just dominating, or what we saw against Northwestern, or is it somewhere in between? Well, I think, um, you know, Northwestern didn't give many pressures. As, like, as, like sending as, blitzers? And well, the thing is, they, in a sense, they didn't, they didn't necessarily um, show that they were giving pressure, and, and Michigan showed a lot. Um, 
and we picked it up. And we had, you know, that's where you kind of have the right play call at the right time. And we had a lot of those, honestly. And then their base front, we just went mano a mano a lot of those, and we double teamed up to the backers. But I mean, Northwestern's a as a front that we've it's been a it's been a grind. Yeah, it's the last good, five yeah. years have been a grind. Um, but they're a good team. They're a good defense. Um, but they their guys. It's more like block you kind of mentality, and uh, you know you just got to have. Uh, no doubt we didn't have as much drive off the ball as we did against Michigan. There's no doubt. You talk about making the right call at the right time. Are there times where it's just JT is the right call at the right time and kind of makes makes everybody better? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, there's there's times for, for both, I think. I think, um, you know, what I mean at call at the right time is just when you when you have a pressure where we're going right into it or we have the certain amount of – um, blockers that we have an extra guy off the edge or whatever it is. Um, but, you know, nonetheless, it shouldn't matter in a sense. But, you know, you, you just got to be prepared for it. You got to have the right footwork and all that stuff. So. I, IDing all that stuff pre-snap, how much of that falls on you as the center? I would say a lot of it. Um, and a lot of the stuff comes from the edges, though, too. I, I would say I do more of the IDing stuff, but also I got to take a look. I got to take a look at the round of the edges and kind of – see what the tackles are seeing and, and seeing what they call to make an adjustment here or there. But um falls a lot on the call. <laughs> I'd say a little bit on me more. So you're talking to two guys who clearly did not play offensive line. <laughs> 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 and, and Kelly, too. Kelly, did you play offensive line? No. Okay. No, so <laughs> take us, you guys break the huddle, and you step over the ball. And take us through what you're looking at, what your job is, what you're saying. So we break the huddle, and... Um, usually, uh, I always go mic the ID. Um, so whoever the mic is, I'm, I'm micing them. The middle um, linebacker. Yep, yep. For whatever the case may be, if it's, um, I'm micing it for a, a pulling guard, for my block, or for yeah. the backside blocks, or for the tight end, or for sometimes the wide receiver. Like, it, it can get that far. <laughs> <laughs> um, but sometimes it's just for me, and for a pass pro, or it could be for the running back at pass four, or, or sure. it could be for the quarterback in general. Um, it actually expanded a lot more through this off season, so sure. <laughs> more responsibility. But I like it. Um, I think it made me a better player in a sense to where um, I like to make adjustments, and when I can make them, I make them. And so after your IDing, okay, fifty four, he's the mic backer. Mm-hmm. Then are you, then are you making another communication saying like, okay, we're gonna have this this guy's responsibility for it now because he's lined up here. So sometimes it depends if what formation we're in and kind of what the scheme is um, and who is going to the mic. So it, it can get a little bit more confusing. But sometimes I'm pointing it just for the fullback, and that's his guy. Okay. Simply that. And um, and then, uh, then I'm t- telling my guard if I'm working with him or if I'm telling my other guard if I'm working with him. Usually I'm working with someone in a sense. But um, maybe I'm head up and I'm telling what they're blocking. So, As fans or people watching, like, we know when a play works well because you, you, you see it gain a bunch of yardage or mm-hmm. JT finds the end zone. At what point in the play do you know, hey, this is going to work? Um, or does it not work till it works? I would say it's, it's hard to tell. If, if you know you're the key block and you got it, you can tell right away. Um, or if you feel JT right off your hip um, and then all of a sudden – He's gone. And all of a sudden, the D lineman's <laughs> looking back, and you're ready. you're still blocking him. All of a sudden, he's looking back, trying to run away, you know, <laughs> trying to catch a, you know, 22 miles per hour JT. <laughs> but, um, no, uh, I would say it, it 
depends because you, it, you, it's really on the D lineman and what he's actually showing you with his eyes and um, and his body language. I'd say not uncommon, but you played D line and O line in high school. Mm-hmm. Which were you better at in high school? I would say D line because I didn't know the technique that I know now at all by any means. So which did you like better? At the time, D line's better. D-line. You get yeah, the hit guy. I, yeah. <laughs> in high school, yeah, D line by far. I like I, I like D line by far. So, how did the decision making? What was the decision making process when you got to UW that you were only going to be O line? Um, I assume you didn't have a say in that. <laughs> well, no, I, I I talked to Coach Christ and Coach uh, Rudolph and Coach Noakes about it and everything, and and at the that was at the because I had a camp and I played D line at the camp and I had I've done really well there. Um, but they said I was like the best D or I was the best lineman at the camp. So they didn't really know whether I was going to play defense or offense. They would more decide that going into um, the spring. And then um, I talked to Coach Noakes a little bit, and then Rudolph came to my school, and then I kind of got a sense of where it was going. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, it was uh, it was one of those things. And when I showed up, um, I had knee braces in my locker, O-line stuff, so <laughs> 61 jersey. I was like, all right. I know where I'm at. Father knows best, though, right? I mean, it's worked out pretty well. Now that you're, you're going to be making millions of dollars pretty soon yeah, in, on uh, Sundays. It, it, yeah, it worked out well. I think, honestly, I had a really great role models um, to look up to. I had Dan Voltz, um, I had Kyle Costigan, and then those were, like, my first-year guys. And then I learned from Dieter just from watching so much film and talking to him about, like, literally everything and anything. And he would always have an answer. And sometimes he'd be like, you know, you just got to play. You know, it could, it could, this could happen. <laughs> um, but I'd always pick his brain about everything. Even my redshirt freshman year, he would always be helping me out with the calls at the line of scrimmage, you know, if I needed a hand here or there. Um, but the second year in my redshirt sophomore year, I really got really got going. How tough was the decision to come back this season? Because you had the option. You were th- you yeah. three years in, so you were you had the option to go pro and, and – Mm-hmm. You could have been draft eligible. How tough was that decision? Um, I think I think it was uh, it, it was it was tough in a sense where it was it was kind of complicated at, at sometimes because um, I wasn't exactly in the healthiest form. Um, and then also I, I knew I had a lot more to learn from the game itself. And uh, and all rightfully so, I wanted to win a Big Ten championship. Like that's one of my huge goals, and obviously win the national championship. Um, but. I've come short twice into being on that receiving end and then not even being able to have an opportunity to. Um, it really, really bugged me, and that's where I wanted to really come back. Did the chance to move into a leadership role factor in at all? Yeah. Knowing that those guys that had come before you that had been in those roles for three years were on their way out? Yeah, yeah, I, and I like a challenge. I, I really do. Um, but I knew who I had with me. Um, I, I, didn't, I knew I was going to be in a bigger leadership role, but I knew I, I had really good followers that – would uh, support me in that, um, you know, role. And the group of guys I was with, I knew we had something special still. And um, I, I, there was no hesitation to. Like, it was just kind of a thing. It just, I felt it. And old Brian. <laughs> <laughs> it no. was kind of unceremonious. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Very fitting of an offensive lineman. <laughs> yeah. Did it fall in the pro or the con category that you'd have to be living with 20 different guys next year? I didn't mind. I was. I, I mean, you know, that lives in a house of twenty-one. It's guys. quite a quite a living arrangement. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it no. sounds, that sounds both awesome and terrifying at the same time to me. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't mind. We have a really great group of uh, our class that came in, and you know that's what I'm t- like. Those guys that I live with, they're they're all rightfully so. Like 
one all my really good friends that I've grown up with through my college career so far, and you know they're brothers. And this is the brotherhood we share. If there are twenty one bedrooms, how many kitchens are there? Three. No, two. Two. Ki- two so kitchens. who's in? Ch- how do you make decisions? Who's in charge of like <laughs> groceries, doing the dishes? Does the place ever get cleaned, or is it like when mom and dad come in for games, they clean the house? Um. So <laughs> or you keep them away because uh, you don't. Want yeah, them to see not it. allowed in the house. <laughs> so for the first year, we 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 lived there because this is our second year, and uh, Garrett Groshek's girlfriend Carly, she she would always make a ch- uh, chore chart, <laughs> and it's we split up in four different groups, and uh, we would have how many people on each group. She give you an allowance if you do <laughs> no, <your> no. <laughs> you know, uh, you know, if you don't take out the guard, it's gonna stink. So, we, <laughs> you know, we have to we we do we do a good job though. And then um, once Garen Carly moved out, Mikey Masculus kind of took that role ish, and uh, we've been we had to actually come have Carly help us clean one day. It was <laughs> oh, we, we had to, we had to get some help one day, but no, it was. We keep it modest. I mean, we're we're still college students here, so. And you guys are right across the street from the stadium. Yep. So what is it? What does a football Saturday look like? You're not there. You're at the mm-hmm. hotel and then coming to the stadium. But what does football Saturday look like at the house? Because it's all football players there, so the house is empty. Yeah, yeah. So but. it's all our parents. <laughs> <laughs> so whatever they can do with the twenty-one. They must love house. that. They must love that. Yeah. They have I, access to this. I really think they do because it's right across the stadium. Location, location, location. Right. Maybe not cleanliness, right. and then you but guys location. Have a, then you guys have a post-game tailgate to go yeah. to right after the game. Exactly. I got a brat wait for me right after the game. How many <laughs> How many people from Amherst come down for a game to see you and Garrett play? Because you guys yeah. grew up together and played high school ball together, and now you're here. Like, does half the population <laughs> caravan down on Saturdays, or how does that work? Well, this last Saturday, there was a lot of people from my family um, from Amherst, and then they, we had a lot of our guys come the week before from Amherst. What a lot of our uh, old teammates from our high school, um, but yeah, we do get a lot of Amherst guys come down, or else they'll like send us a snap of us on TV or whatever, or whatever it is. It's it's pretty cool to see that they're we still we're still in touch, and we have a really gr- we have a chat, so we have a we always stay in touch. It's pretty cool. What is there to do in Amherst? Well, like when you go back in the summer, like what is like what is there? To how many? Do? First of all, how many people live in Amherst? What's the official population? I think it's about a thousand. One thousand people. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, what, what do we do in Amherst? I mean, if, if, we, if we were going to go there right now, like tourists. If you're of age, um, there's local establishment establishments. <laughs> so it's a typical Wisconsin. <laughs> yeah, town. right, right on Main Street. There's um, O'Brien's, Club Orlo. Ambrosia's. Um, we know about these places. <laughs> I, yeah, I stopped there quite a little bit. Is there a, bre- is there a brewery there? Yeah, so we have uh, uh, Central Waters oh, yeah. Brewery. It's a really good brewery. They do. They make some good mm-hmm. products, yep. yep. Even our ac- academic advisor, Dave Cedar, went there to go visit one time. I'm I'm still stuck on the 21, 21 guys living in one house. Um, how many bathrooms are in this house? Um, there's one on each floor. How many floors? Four floors total. That's not a great ratio. But there's of toilets there's two toilets per bathroom. What? Yeah. Oh, I don't. I don't <laughs> know if I like, like. I don't know if I like that math. This is like a dorm. <laughs> <laughs> but the stadium is right across the street, so you got you got showers, you got facilities. It's funny because that's we have, true. We have like exit signs like on each hall, <laughs> the end of each hall, like because there's two ways you can go. Oh boy, uh, that's that's. I don't know. I don't even know what to think about that. Okay. It, like uh, I said, it sounds both awesome and terrifying at the same time. Yeah, college me would think right. it sounds college really me, cool. Right. Now me, yeah, I don't know about that. Right. My house of four is 
chaos enough. <laughs> so, okay, offensive linemen, do you like attention or not like attention? A lot of times when old linemen are getting attention, well, it depends, it's for the wrong reasons. Depends when, when you're giving us attention. So here's what I wanted to ask is last <laughs> if, year. If you have a camera in my face, I'm probably going to smack it out of your face. <laughs> okay. So there's no, this is a, that's why this is a podcast. Yeah, this like is all audio You're bothering only. me. <laughs> so last year, you guys are the greatest offensive line in the history of football. Or so we, we were led to believe, or people would hype it that way, right? Mm-hmm. Cover a sports illustrate, which is really cool. Mm-hmm. This year, not much attention. Guys are gone and only quote one quote returning starter. Mm-hmm. I'm sure last year was fun doing that kind of stuff and going to Red Robin and having these yeah. stories written about you guys. We went fishing too. Yeah, we, got, right. we did all yeah. kinds of stuff. But is was there a point where that's too much because offensive linemen live in the trenches and that's not necessarily a, the lifestyle of an offensive lineman? Well, honestly, like we never did anything unusual. You guys just kind of followed us yeah, to Red we Robin. Like, we just sort of documented so, things you, you know, guys were doing anyway, yeah. It's not that we, like, I mean, you know, it was cool, like, doing that stuff with those guys, and they're really great people. Um, they didn't take anything. Um, you know, they, they we, it actually motivated us to be better, in a sense, and, and we knew that. And, um, I mean, I, I, don't, I don't really care, to be honest with you, whether you give me this or not. You know, I'm just gonna go play football. Sounds that sounds like a true <laughs> offensive lineman. Did you see the Philadelphia Eagles offensive line pose for the body issue? You know, I I didn't, and then Cole Van Lander reminded me <laughs> of it, and then I saw it, and then he's like, <laughs> "Wait, is Cole advocating for this?" I don't know. <laughs> I don't. I don't know. But you know, he's like, "Dude, look at this," and I'm like, "Oh, hey, there this, you go. this could be us." You know? Yeah, <laughs> it's interesting. What would it take for you to pose in the body issue? And I don't know about that. <laughs> Pay me a lot of money. I don't know. Every every man has a po- has a selling price, don't you? Like, yeah, there's got to be some dollar amount. <laughs> I don't know. Get Buffalo Head in there. But yeah, like, who, who who in the room? There's got to be somebody in the room who would go, oh, yeah, I'll do that. Uh, who would be the most likely? Mormon. <laughs> I would say David Mormon. I don't know why, but. Just because he keeps his hair nicely combed and. <laughs> he's got he, some, it, it would have to be him, I think. David he's got Warren. some manscaping going on. He's just one, he, he's he's just one, one guy. Like, like, oh, I'll do it. I'll do it. <laughs> uh, all right, let's move on. Let's move on from the image yeah, of that we don't offensive <laughs> linemen naked. It's a, it's a good thing this is audio only here. Yeah. <laughs> People can Google the Philadelphia Eagles offensive line if they really want to see what that looks like. I'm sure the Wisconsin line would look similar. The defense, like being on the other side of it and spectating with this defense, what have you seen out of them? I've seen them play – like outrightfully so, like the best defense we've seen um, us play, and they've uh, they've done a really good job of getting to the quarterback, making an effect on literally every throw. Um, and our D line is doing a heck of a job. You know, we got those guys back, you know, healthy and everything. And so I think our safeties are doing a heck of a job making hits. And sometimes the ref might not agree with the, you know, he might not agree with if it's a good hit or not. But you know, we got guys that are step in and still make plays. So. Who's the one dude that you're like, I'm glad he's on our side and I'm not blocking him in a game? Um, I would say Chris Orr or Isaiah Laudermilk or Garrett Rand. Those, those three <laughs> there. Because Isaiah is, you know, he's, he, he's, Massive. You know, he's doing really good. And Garrett, mean bull rush. Chris, you just don't know. You know, he's one of those guys where, you know, practice is practice, but a game, I've, I've, you know. <laughs> You should hear him in the locker room. <laughs> oh, so we had Chris him on the podcast last week, 
And we asked him about, he, he never stops talking, right? You know that. He's a yeah. locker room lawyer. So we asked him about trash talking on the field, and he talked about the preparation that he goes through and learning <laughs> other players' hometowns and, like, how he talks trash. It was awesome. But does he do that in practice with you guys? Like, when you, when you guys would go ones-on-ones, maybe in camp, mm. is he running his mouth? Mm-mm. I think he's more saving his energy for the game. <laughs> team that, team player. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I really don't. I don't hear him. No. I find that hard to believe. Yeah, me too. I'm not. You, a, I'm. What's usually ones against twos, not ones versus ones. Right. Sure. Um, but are you a trash talker? No, I save my breath. <laughs> 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 when it's needed, it's needed. But uh, otherwise, I'm going back to the huddle because I got to make a lot of calls. <laughs> you you referenced that JT can run 22 miles an hour. Have you been oh, clocked yeah. yet? Yeah, I think I hit. Um, I thought it was 17 once in a game. Well, so uh, that's that's six, no. So 16. It was like 16 point. Six or something like that. Was that, like, you, was that like pulling down the field? Oh, it was off a screen. <laughs> yeah, I was running. <laughs> what do you weigh? Right now, three seventeen. That's pretty fast. That's, that's, for, that's pretty a lot fast of mass for two seventeen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I mean, I'd over. take that if I were you. Yeah, maybe the hills downhill or something on the left or something <laughs> like that. You, know, like you never know. The crown of the field. <laughs> so after last Saturday's game, you guys probably left the game with a unsatisfied, maybe tasting your mouth a little bit that, you know, you left some things out there that you said. So are you you anxious to get back on the field Saturday against Kent State? Yeah, I mean, through my career, though, when I've gone through, like, games like that where, you know, you might not be as satisfied as it is on offense, you still put up points and you still won the game and you have a great defense. And, as, you know, we it's not that we put our – you know, we did put our defense in tough, dis- you know, positions at sometimes. But you know, a win is a win in the Big Ten, and you know, you take that. You know, you know, you don't. It's hard. You know, so <laughs> I think, uh, um, you know, they're great. You know, they're great defense, and um, I'm not going to hang my head about it. I mean, obviously, we could have done stuff better. Um, but some of that stuff, you know, they're good players too. They're in the Big Ten, and. He's looking at me like now right now, like, will you stop talking about how bad we were Saturday and start giving us credit for just (laughs) winning the game? Pretty sure there was a W on the the, the board. He's like shooting me at stink guy right now. But but that's how it was, you know. And even back in 2017, that was a grind. And, you know, we didn't put up that many points. And, you know, I'm not saying anything about 2017, but I've learned from wins like that. And, you know, you're going to celebrate a win, you know, because wins a win. Even though you might not be as satisfied, you got to tell you, like, hey, not everything in life's perfect either, you know. So you got to keep going, and uh, you got to move on. So, yeah, we are ready for Kent State. In I'll other, say other this: words. he's <laughs> going to flatten some guy and say that's for Patrick. Yeah, <laughs> this team has accomplished. I'll say this: this team has accomplished something when you can win by double digits in the Big Ten, and people go, "Eh, right." That means that you've accomplished yeah. because that means expectations have been raised, and that's a good thing because it means that people know this team's really good. Yeah, I mean. Um, You'd like to win, obviously, by a lot every week, you know, if that was the case. But, um, you know, you know who you're going up against, and you know that they're not in the Big Ten for no reason. So I think, you know, good game plans each week. You know, we're always pretty in good shape. But in in reality, you have to make it come to life um, in a sense of us players. You know, coaches can't do everything for you. So on us, I think we can do better from that. And, you know, we are ready for Kent State and – we yeah we did leave out some stuff on the field but you know we're gonna grow from it. All right, good luck on Saturday. Thank let you. Us, let us know if you want to go down that body issue road. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, to Tyler. All right, sounds good. <laughs>
Our thanks again to Tyler for joining us on the pod. He was, he's always insightful. Today was definitely no, uh, no exception to that. Uh, Patrick, in the wake of the Michigan game, we talked about where that game fell in terms of statement wins for the program in recent history. And you and I presented our lists of what we thought our top five were. But then we threw it out to our listeners to kind of fill in the gaps on anything we might have missed. Did we get any any interesting additions to those lists in terms of statement games? Yeah, well, we talked about it that Wisconsin, thankfully, Wisconsin has a lot of really big wins. So paring it down to five was a difficult task. And so I don't have – I have a list here of other ones that were submitted to us. I can't argue with any of them. Jake Demler got at us on Twitter. He said the 2010 Ohio State game. No I mean, doubt. Yep. Yeah. We both had that as honorable mention, he, I think. He also yeah. had 1993 versus Michigan. And so we kind of did a 25-year window where that's maybe before that, but hard to argue oh, with man. that in terms of turning the legacy of the program around. Yeah, they hadn't beat Michigan in a long time, and that one led the way to a Big Ten championship. Yeah. Another one from our friend Rob Vogel. He said the 2011, eight, uh, 2011 Big Ten championship game over Michigan State would get his vote. Uh, I really appreciate it, though, Rob, adding that any win over Iowa makes his list. That was close to my heart. <laughs> I, I appreciated that. Uh Andy Schaff on Twitter said that he, he would put the, the 2004 win over number five Purdue on his list. Then that, that was a really memorable one, a road game. I remember the Scott Starks scoop and score. That was a, that was a big stage game. It was a primetime game when yeah. there weren't necessarily that many primetime games. Yeah, he, he astutely pointed out, though, that the Wisconsin lost the final three games of that season. It probably hurt the legacy of that in, in terms of, like, big-picture statement wins. So, cool uh, game, though. Another one at TJ Heft 14 said that he'd put the 2017 Iowa win on his list. That was about as dominant a performance as anyone's seen. Yeah. They they had just, they had just watched, uh, they just put up 55 points against Ohio state the week before. And then, then the Badgers held him to 66 total yards the next week. That's a statement. That's a statement. Okay. So we got another topic we want your opinion on during the broadcast against Northwestern ABC posed the theoretical question, who's the best player in Wisconsin history? They're kind of this 150 years of college football campaign that's going on. They came away in declaring Rondane as the best player in school history, which, okay, Hard sure. Hard to argue. Yeah, we can, we can go with that. So let's assume that he is. Let's, 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 let's agree with them. Who's the next best player or if you take Or if you take Ron out of the equation. Sure, don't you count him. You can't name Ron. Who, yeah, other than Ron Dane, who would you say? And this is a really hard thing. Yeah, I, I was in the middle of the ABC production meeting when they were debating this, and Bob Wischusen, who called the game, was adamant that it's Joe Thomas, that he's the, sure. he's the best player. Like, yes, Ron's accomplishments are great. He, but, he's the but first Joe offensive was, lineman in the history of football, in, right? In NFL history, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> According to Monday Night Football, yeah. But, again, hard to argue. He's the best, he's the best at his position, one of the best to ever play his position. First should, ballot College Football Hall of Famer. He'll be a first ballot should, pro football Should J.J. Watt be on that list? He turned out to be one of, the best co- one of the best players ever, but maybe he wasn't when he was in college. What about Russell Wilson? Does he qualify? He was only here for a year, but he was pretty spectacular. Yeah, Melvin, Melvin Gordon, a guy that Barry Alvarez, of all people, said is the best running back to ever play here. Sure, I mean, so he put him ahead of Ron Dane. Yeah. Alan Amici, going yeah, back to go the running era. backs. Pat yeah. Richter was a multi-sport athlete that was that did a lot here in the football. I would put Jim Leonard in that category, the school's all-time leader in interceptions, sure. and was a fabulous return man. Tim Crumry, I mean, every, rev, yeah. you know, revered as the, like, this tough, tough guy who played in kind of a down era for the Badgers, but... Well, was a great player. He's a college football hall. I of think famer. he's third on Wisconsin's all-time tackles list. 
which for a defensive, an interior defensive lineman to be that high on a tackles list is incredible because they don't, they usually, they never show up with the linebackers in no, terms that of isn't tackles. A, that isn't a position that has a lot of production. So he, he is very accomplished. I would also put Lee Evans in there. Lee Evans was dominant yeah. those last two seasons. As a, as a, for a wide receiver, he was so good. All right, so let's let's that's some of the some of the options. Let's open up to Yeah, them. we want to hear from you. Tweet at us at behind badgers or send us an email. We'll share some of the we'll share some of the responses we got. Give us your player and maybe why. Why you think that he separates himself from everybody else. Send us an email if you want. Behind the badgers at gmail.com. You know the name we didn't bring up. We're sitting I don't know, you might be sitting in his chair right now. Jonathan Taylor. Where does Jonathan <laughs> yeah, Taylor fit in the right. equation? I guess his legacy is not done yet, so right. maybe we've we got to wait and have this conversation a year from now or two years from now, but more likely a year from now. But we'll definitely have this conversation a week from now yeah. when we get some some feedback from our listeners. All right, before we wrap up, what else is going on right now in uh, in in Badger sports or college well, sports? Well, this, really, this isn't really Badger sports, but I think you have to address the, the law that the California governor, the bill that the California governor signed into law this week about um, uh, allowing student-athletes to profit off their name, image, and likeness, allowing them to hire agents. This is a topic that is totally in its infancy, and there's no doubt, I mean, even the California law isn't going to take effect until 2023. But between now and then, you've already seen some other bills popping up in other states. There's going to be more legislation, maybe even at the national level. There's certainly going to be court challenges to different parts of these laws. It's, it's impossible going, to predict what impact will this will have on right, college athletics. But it's going to have an impact on, on the athletes and on the schools, and uh, it's going to be really fascinating to see where it goes. Look more closer to home, men's hockey gets going. They've got the red-white scrimmage this Sunday, 1230. Chance to check out. Oh, Goal Caulfield. First, first, Goal first Caulfield. chance to see Goal Caulfield and yeah. the boys at the Cole Center. Yeah, this we are internally really excited about this year of this crop of freshmen that looks to be unbelievable. And so this is the first chance to check them out at the Cole Center. Again, 12.30, free admission to the red-white scrimmage. Women's hockey already underway. The number one team in the country, the defending national champs, they swept Lindenwood to start their season. Volleyball had a good weekend. I was there for their win over number 15, Purdue. Fugle House was rocking. They swept them. They looked really good. And Wisconsin has played the hardest schedule in the nation so far for volleyball. So it was good to see them beat another really good team. And, and, kinda, it's, and it's not getting any easier. No, the Big Ten. What did we decide? That there were 32 Big Ten teams in the top 10? Yeah, we decided that. Yeah. So that counts. There are a lot. So a lot of good things happen in Wisconsin athletics. We'll talk about a lot of them again next week, and hopefully we'll have more wins that we can discuss. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, review us, and chime in on who your best player in UW history not named Ron Dane is. And uh, by next week, we'll try to figure out Pat Fitzgerald's two-point strategy. Oh. Unless we get fired. (laughs) Okay. Thank you for listening to Behind the Badgers. Please subscribe, rate, and review on your preferred podcast platform. The preceding has been a Learfield IMG College presentation. Some people just know bundling with Allstate means big savings. Just like they know the right ingredient means big flavor. They know honey on pizza is where it's at. And olive oil on ice cream is the cherry on top. And they know when you bundle home and auto with Allstate... 
you can save up to 25%. Mm -mm. Bundled savings vary by state and are not available in every state. Saving up to 25% is the countrywide average of the maximum available savings off the home policy. All state vehicle and property insurance company and affiliates, Northbrook, Illinois.